So when you start to look at relationships as the greatest wealth you'll ever have, your whole life flips to like, oh, I just need to work on relationships and people. Welcome to the Easton Creed Show, made to get us thinking outside of the box, fired up and inspired. This is your host and each week I'll be interviewing someone to bring out their success story. Guests will help us to find more happiness, better health and optimize performance. Welcome back to the podcast, guys. I'm super excited about today's episode. BC Serna is someone who's inspired me for a very long time. I met him in Colorado a few years back and have taken some amazing insights from him since then. And today's episode, I really learned so much from him. He is a purpose mentor and he's been over 80 countries in the last decade teaching and leading people how to heal their hearts, awaken their souls and become the most radical and loving, truest versions of themselves. What stands out to me most about BC is his ability to truly live. He is living a full life of adventure and love and has a massive impact on the world. Cannot wait to learn more from him. All right, you guys, my favorite thing about this episode is when BC talks about taking risks. He's someone who's a really good example of embracing scary situations and just making the jump and making it happen. And it's something that I definitely want to be better at in my own life. And let's just jump right into the episode. Yeah, I mean, it's been a long journey. I, I guess I would, I kind of what I say now, it's, it's 14 years since I started on my first um, excursion around the world. I was 19 years old. Uh, I got a scholarship to do a study abroad program and uh, didn't know anything about volunteering or passions or purpose or anything about the world. All I knew was like sports and, and my little bubble of the suburbs so um went to school to play a sport got injured and then randomly stumbled upon the study abroad program and jumped in on it and uh and was like okay cool i'll go travel the world for six months and and then it opened up my eyes to a whole new reality of truth and life and uh yeah i dropped out of college and then started traveling the world with the study abroad program i got a job with them and uh took college students around the world for like three and a half years and uh, yeah, it's just been a long journey of traveling and learning and, and just trying to figure out, I guess, like how to love people, the human experience, how to love myself. And uh, yeah, just a, a goulage of a bunch of different things in uh, 14 years. So rad. What's your average day look like right now? Nowadays? Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Um, Man, my days, they're wild now. They're a little bit less wild than they were when I would travel to a new country like every month. But uh, nowadays, I've definitely learned how to like kind of slow down and hone in on on certain things really well. I still have really ambitious, crazy dreams that I want to like do so many different things. But um, I run an online program and retreats called Pursuing Purpose. Um, and there's a podcast. We do in-person retreats. We do online program with mentoring. And, uh, and then I host events. And, and then I, I, I do like a bunch of random stuff too. Um, but I would say, yeah, I, my, my, main, my main passion and focus right now is, is called Pursuing Purpose. And it was really birthed when... Um, when I turned, you know, I guess you want me to go into that kind of like story? Yeah, no, I love, that was going to be what I was going to ask you next. So go ahead. Yeah. So, so basically mentoring has always been like my, uh, my compass, like my North star of like, when I realized at one point, I, young people just need good mentorship, good leadership, good guidance. Like, you know, you can't be what you can't see. 
And I think a lot of, I was so frustrated when I realized these truths about the world and about love and about service and volunteering. And, and I was like, man, no one ever told me these like secrets and these codes that, you know, these are like the kind of ways to live a life of meaning and purpose. And so I, uh, kind of geared my life towards, um, mentoring people. And basically, I mean, I guess in an, I'll kind of go to the beginning of the journey, but I was 22 or 23 at the time. And I was traveling the world for three and a half years, going all around the world, helping nonprofits and people and, and study abroad programs. And I asked myself, I was like, all right, God, what's the biggest need in the world? And whatever it is, I want to go do it. And I was young. I was, you know, only traveling the world for three years. I was still 22 years old. And I was like, all right, is the big, and I, and I had this whole journal thing. I was like sitting in Mexico at the time. And I was like, all right, is the biggest need in the world helping orphans in Africa? Is it helping, um, clean water? And is it helping education in Asia? Like, I was just like, really like super curious on what the biggest need in the world was. And I felt God kind of like after all these like formulas and journaling, God was like the biggest need in the world is young people of America to awaken up. And mm. I remember being like, oh, that does not sound as exciting going living in Africa or Asia. Uh -huh. I was like, that does not sound cool at all because I like, you know, I love traveling. And so I had my dream job at the time. And when I felt that come through, I was like super not interested and kind of like not going to take it serious. But as I like prayed on it more and, and journaled and meditated on it, I was like, wow, like, I guess that's it. So I'm, I quit the job, my dream job. I moved home to my parents' house. And the only thing I knew was I had to work with young people. And so started just going around Denver where I was, I grew up and started finding nonprofits and mentoring programs and just started mentoring pro like young students and became a young life leader, which is like an, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of young life. No, yeah, I haven't heard of it. Young Life is like a it's like a youth group kind of mentoring program. Um, so I found that with inner city kids in in like the east side of Denver, which I never really knew much about inner city living, and I grew up in the suburbs of Denver. And so started doing that, and that changed my life forever. And uh, and meanwhile, I picked up a camera, and I started going around Denver. This was before Instagram, and I would just pull into nonprofits parking lots and go inside the building and be like, Hey, can I make you guys a free video? Like I love making videos. And they're like, uh, sure, I guess. So I just started making tons of free videos for nonprofits. And then while mentoring and next thing you know it, I started getting sent around the world to make videos for nonprofits all throughout Africa and Asia and everywhere I wanted to go. Like now God was like, Oh, cool. Now here you go. And then I was like, man, I don't want these high school kids have to wait to college or after college to travel. So I need to start taking high school kids around the world. So um, I started doing that. I started I started my own program um, called Global Youth Leadership Academy with my mentor. And we started taking high school kids around the world. And uh, so it's been like a long, I mean, there's been, I mean, then I was a filmmaker telling stories of nonprofits. So there's so many different pieces to that story. Um, I, uh, I, I'm inspired by that, like this part of your story because your life is so broad, you know, like you're, you're doing a lot of good in the world. And, and most people, you know, they kind of pick a career, they stay with it, they kind of roll with that thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think you've managed to keep your world really big, like you're constantly working on different projects, like, just in terms of your traveling, you're making videos, you're speaking, you're mentoring, like, how have you been able to manage such a non specific thing? <laughs> and has that been a challenge? Oh my gosh, that's the hardest part of my challenge is every time I got asked to like speak at an event or a school or on a podcast, you know, there was no niche for me, even on social media. 
and no one could really box me or understand me. And so it was super frustrating at times, but it was also super freeing that I was this like enigma of like, you know, they were like, well, if we, if you come speak at our, our, our school or even our church or our conference, like, what are you going to talk about? And I was like, I mean, I could talk about a lot of things. I was like, <laughs> you know, even when I, I did my first TEDx talk when I was like 24, 25, and it was about mentorship. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's been a funny long journey. Cause I've never really fit in, in any categories like church. I never really fit in and, um, school programs. I never really fit in. So I really learned how to like create my own culture. And because mm-hmm. I never fit in anywhere um, and I never really felt accepted, I was like, well, that doesn't feel good. So maybe I can create a space kind of like content. Like I couldn't find the con- I when back in the day when when I was traveling the world, you, you typed in purpose or inspiration in YouTube and nothing came up. Mm-hmm. And so I started making content that I wanted I couldn't find. And I started becoming a mentor I couldn't find. And I started events that I couldn't find and eventually created a culture I, that I couldn't find. And so a lot of that pain and frustration of not, you know, being in these niche conversations and categorize um, created a lot of purpose in it, you know. And so, yeah, it's been a long journey. And like I said, the compass was always just people. Like that was the only thing I knew was no matter where God puts me, no matter where I'm at, no matter where I'm living, if I'm living in my parents' basement or I'm living in a village in Kenya, like I'm just like people over everything. Yeah. And uh, that was all I knew. And so people were like, are you a mentor? Are you a filmmaker? Are you a traveler? Are you an Instagram? You know, I'm just like, sure. <laughs> you know, are you a Christian? Are you not? And I just kind of was always like, whatever, you know, it just, I don't yeah. like the terms and the labels. Yeah, no, I, it's been really interesting like putting together this interview for you because I've just been like inspired by you, but in such a general sense, you know, like I, I was telling one of my friends, I was like, I'm interviewing this guy and they're like, well, what does he do? And I was like, well, everything <laughs> he does a yeah. lot of different stuff so i just have so many questions to ask you I'm, I'm so intrigued by your story but i want to talk more about the community because that's one thing i've really noticed from your social media and i really believe that people are everything and people crave a sense of community so much i think more now than ever and i'm really curious to know uh, what your community looks like right now and how have you been able to create it yeah, for sure. Community, yeah, is the, is the uh, is like the foundation of what I, I get to build now, and I feel really so excited and hopeful that, like I said, it, I became the mentor I always wanted. You know, so I always, I just like always went above and beyond when I mentored my high school students or college students. And then when I turned thirty, oh, I guess this is like the full circle of pursuing purpose where it was birth. But, um, you know, did so much for 11 years from 19 to 30 years old. I went to over 80 countries, never had more than $2,000 in my bank account, never had any sort of security or backup plan or idea. I had no idea what God was doing in my twenties, but I knew I was impacting people and I knew all I had to worry about was the next step. And, uh, it was so difficult. Like literally my bank account hit zero more than I can imagine. Like it was so wild and turning 30, the buildup was pretty big deal. And when I, when I turned 30, I I was in Kenya for a month on my 30th birthday. And same thing I did when I was 22, I sat there and prayed and meditated and journaled. And, and I was like, all right, God, what is all of this meant? Like what is 11 years of all of these different colors on this canvas? And, um, nothing like stuck, I guess. Like I didn't, I didn't have any money. I didn't have anything to show for it. You know, 
I mean, I had a lot of impact. Like I traveled and I helped a lot of people, with, but you know, I never made a penny and I never knew how I was going to make a penny. And, but when I turned 30, I had this idea. I was like, man, I just really want to help build leaders now. Like I can't just mentor high school kids because I would speak at a high school program that I run and there'd be 200 high school kids. And I'm like, man, I can't mentor all these kids. I need to create leaders. And mm-hmm. so when I turned 30, I was like, I need to build heart led 20 year olds and adults so they can go, if I can, if I can mentor 10 people and they mentor 10 people, you know, a thousand people, it's just like it ripple effects, you know? Mm-hmm. So that was my next, my next endeavor was building leaders and becoming the person I wish I had in my twenties. And so I created a program called pursuing purpose and, uh, it was called the mentorship mastermind and it was an online program. And it was, uh, for me, I was like, yeah, I've never made a penny mentoring. Like I've spent, you know, 11 years mentoring and never made a dollar. I actually lost all my money to like mentoring my high school kids. Like, um, but, uh, yeah, I was like, how do I charge people, you know, that have like, that want to invest in themselves that has good value, but make it affordable so people can do it. And so if I do a group one, then maybe it can be more affordable. So created this online program and didn't know if anyone was going to apply. Like I've never, like I said, made a penny. So I, I called it the mentorship mastermind. This was 2018. I was building it out and there was no blueprint back then. There was no like online programs like this. And uh, so it was hard to build out. And then I was like asking friends of friends to like join because I didn't know if anyone was going to sign up. And I launched it in 2019 and a hundred people applied and I was like, Oh crap. And so like, I was literally like, I didn't know what was going to happen, but a hundred people applied. I could only in my mind take 25 because it was a two month program. So I turned away 75 people and, uh, launched the first mentorship mastermind in 2019. It was incredible. 25 people. And then 2020 did the second one with 50 people. And then 2021 did three in-person retreats with like 70 people total about, yeah, three groups of like 20, 25. And then just did our third mentorship mastermind with 56 people from like 10 different countries. And Mm -hmm. so it's been, it's been a beautiful, like full circle for sure of like what God was working on me for so long. Like, and, uh, and now seeing it come to life with this community, you know, people are flying across the world to see each other, flying across the country to see each other. They're becoming roommates. They're starting companies together. And it's all was birthed from my pain. Like my twenties, I never had a mentor. I never had a community and I never had a curriculum to understand my heart and my soul and my mind and my insecurities and my traumas. And so I literally just put that all into one thing and, uh, it works, <laughs> you know, it worked, I guess. So um, yeah, that's kind of what I'm doing now mostly is, is retreats and online programs. Meanwhile, a lot of different side projects that are really fun too. Cool. I'm, I'm so inspired by how bold you are. Like, that's really scary, especially like, you know, it's, you get to a point where you're like, all right, like I need to make money. I want to have something secure. And you're just like, I'm just going to follow what God's plan is for me. And it's going to work out like that. Just, that takes a lot of guts. I want to know what those retreats are like. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the retreats are very, I mean, I think I, I've personally had such incredible radical experiences with God and nature and really been like, whoa, this is what we're designed for. This is like really how you sober your soul is you get in nature and you like, you see all the intrinsic beauty of animals and life and simplicity. And like, just, you know, we, everyone lives in these concrete jungles with technology. And so I was like, I was so transformed my, by it in 2020 and my whole life. Cause I grew up in Colorado, but also 2021 that, um, I went to the desert for two months and turned my phone off and lived in my sprinter van 
and got really sober with my soul and really quiet. Um, and just, yeah, I had a, some crazy radical experiences with God. And then I was like, oh, I just need to bring people to nature. And mm-hmm. so started doing these retreats. And a lot of it is is built on like the four pillars of, of nature, um, play, um, this childlike play. Uh, music is a big one. We like have a lot of like music dance things with these sign disco headphones and then God and faith. And so those four pillars are kind of like this intrinsic formula of like, if we can really pray and meditate in nature and then play and go explore and get lost and, and then dance and, and really have this encounter, um, then we can kind of find uh, out a lot about um, kind of what's going on in our hearts and our stories and our world, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Cool. Cool. I, uh, yeah, there's, there's just so many things I could ask you about. I'm, I'm very intrigued by the whole experience about turning off your phone and going and living in the desert. I feel like I would, I feel like I would feel like at such a lack, like, did you, like, what did you do with your days during that time? Did you feel like you had purpose? It was really tough. I mean, I literally, once again, left my dream life. Like I was living in LA with all my friends in a house on the beach and, same thing. God was, you know, I, I feel like it's funny. Like people saw me back then and, and most things in my life where people are like, oh my God, you're going to live in a sprinter van, like in these parks and nature. And I would laugh and I'd be like, and then the best way I can explain it to them back then and now, but I was like, yo, it, it seemed really cool from the outside. Like this, I'm so sweet. I'm going to go live in a van and travel. But I was like, what I feel like I'm going into is a really big, dark room and it's pitch black dark and it's massive. And I have to go find the light switch. And meanwhile, I'm holding like, I guess like God's arm, you know, spirit, God's arm. And he, God's like guiding me around this huge room. And all I'm trying to do is find the light switch. So I don't know what's going on. I don't know why I'm in this room. I don't know what's in this room. And I just left a really sweet room that was comfortable. That was dark for a long time too, until I found the light switch. So I'm like going around this room. And then finally I find this light switch. I turn it on and I go, Oh, whoa, this room is sick. Like, this is what you were doing to God. Like, this is cool. And then God's like, yeah, right. And he's like, you want to come check out the next room? It's even bigger. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This is cool. I want to stay here for a while. And God's like, <laughs> God's like, no, no, trust me. You can always come back here if you want. And I was like, ah, okay, fine. And so my whole life for 14 years has been that journey of like looking really sweet. And like you said, like you were like, oh, it's so cool. You had so much faith. Yeah, it was cool. It was also terrifying. And like, I was almost trying to, it's a funny story. Like I'm, I don't really say this too much, but it's a funny story of like, I was really trying to prove God wasn't real mm. because of how stubborn I am. And like, I'm like a very stubborn, like, you know, I'm just like very stubborn. And when I heard about God and love and living for people, I was like, this sounds like a bunch of, you know, bull. So I was like, I'll try this out. And the moment it fails, like the moment it doesn't work because I'm stubborn, I'm, I'm going to prove it doesn't work. And then the moment I prove that God's way doesn't work and, and that I can, that it does, it's not, it's not, you know, real, then I'm going to go do life my own way. And Mm -hmm. for those 14 years, I've been like recklessly trying like my hardest to like fail sometimes, like run out of money and fail. And I was always like, all right, God, the moment I, I fail and like run out of certain things, like, like for instance, I was like, two days away from my rent being paid when I was like 25. And I was like, oh, sweet. I'm not gonna be able to pay my rent. I'm gonna get kicked out. And then I'm gonna go live my life the way I want to live it and make money and date who I want to date and do what I want to do. And then the next day, someone calls me and is like, hey, it was like a mom of a friend of mine going like, hey, I want, I just got, got on my heart. I want to pay your next two months rent. And I was like, 
what? I was like so mad. (laughs) uh, Yeah. And so my whole life, man, it seems like a lot of faith um, because it has been a lot of faith, but it's not, it's, it's definitely been the hardest, loneliest, like those two months in the desert, you know, like my beard grew out. I didn't get text messages or calls from people. So I didn't know if I was even, I was like forgotten. I was like, man, if I died, would anyone care? Like, you know, you're off social media. So you're stopped, you're stopped getting stimulated through that validation. And, and then, you know, there's like a couple of days go by and no one's texted or called you. And you're just like, Whoa, like people don't even care about me. Like your ego is just going through so many different deaths and you have this ultimate ego death. And, um, and you actually go through like, yeah, the ego death is a death, you know, cause your, your subconscious doesn't know the difference between your conscious and your subconscious. And so I was in the desert in this one meditation and it came up like when Jesus conquered death the way I, I try to understand Jesus is what, what is it, what does it mean now? Like, how do I utilize these things? And so when I was in the desert and I felt like this moment of like, I befriended death, like, you know, death as like a spirit, you know, like the, the guy with the, uh, little cane or whatever, I like befriended him. And I was like, Oh wow, I'm not afraid of you. Or I'm not like, I'm not running from you the rest of my life. I was like, you're just my homie. And I, I felt like I conquered yeah. death in that like spiritual sense That's awesome. where, where I was not afraid. And so, um, anyway, yeah, that was a wild journey came out of that and realized who my partner was like my wife, like this, this best friend I had for two years who we were just best friends for two years, but LA was like, so, you know, overwhelming and so much going on where, yeah, man. So it was, it was wild. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, I can't even imagine like the way that you live and just or the way that you have lived in terms of just hoping that payment will work out and you'll be able to make something work with just how broad your journey has been. How how have you been able to manage that path of just in the anxiety of like not knowing when the next check is going to come and if you're going to be able to go to the next place and uh, I think there's a lot of people who are listening to this where they're the age where they just like want to have adventures and go explore but also want some security in doing so. Uh, like I, for myself, I really want to do lots of traveling, but I don't know like how to make that happen. So I want to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. So I guess like a, a simple way to understand it is when I was, t- when I moved back to the U S um, you know, back then, like I said, there was no Instagram. It, you know, it, everyone was like, you're going back to college, right? You're 22 years old. You dropped out of college. You gotta go. Everyone was like, you gotta go back to college. And I, it, there were so many different options for me at that time in my life. And I was like, okay, if I invest all my money into camera equipment and to high school kids and I go into debt, right? Like buying a camera and a computer and all that stuff. So I go into debt, I buy this camera, I start helping high school kids. What's the worst case scenario? Hmm. And so I followed the string of the worst case scenario is I go into debt, I run out of money and I have to move back in with my parents and I have to work at Starbucks <laughs> to get my shit back together. And I was like, dang, that's, that's my worst case scenario. That's the entire world's best case scenario. And so like, I really, when I was 22, remember being like, wait, working at Starbucks, living at my parents' house, paying off debt, potentially going back to college. I was like, that's like the entire world, like 70% of the world and live on less than a dollar a day. I was like, that's not that bad of odds, you know? So I was like, this is kind of worth the risk. And so when I took the risk and bought the camera equipment and you know, started making videos for free for nonprofits and helping high school kids for free. I just was kind of like, I'm enjoying this and it's fun. And if, you know, 
I have to work at Star, you know, I was in, and I was like, and one day, I mean, I make videos, which is nice and convenient. I was like, I could go do wedding videos. I could do company videos. Like mm-hmm. I could, you know, I could do, a, there's the thing with our society and our cultures, we have too many options and mm-hmm. we get paralyzed. Cause literally I was like, at that point in my life, I was like, yo, I could move to Sweden and learn Swedish and work at a coffee shop and live in Sweden for six months. Like the literally, if you looked at the options you know, I, it was endless. I could go live in Mexico and learn Spanish and work at a coffee shop in Mexico. Like it's so funny in our culture and our society that we live in now is we have endless options. Mm-hmm. The problem is our ego only understands comfort in what we know. And so um, the conflictingness is, you know, our parents' expectations and, uh, you know, trying to prove ourselves right or trying to, um, yeah, I don't know, just the the... Yeah, it seems like everyone's going through really tough things, but it's all because there's too many options sometimes, you know? Mm. Yeah, no, I, I, I think about that all the time. There's a billion different things you can do. Like even even just one example of that is like, if you're in college, there's a billion different majors you can go after. And I'm like, I want to learn everything, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, no, that, that's super fascinating. Um, I want to know, like you talk about purpose a lot and that seems to be one of your main messages I'm curious to know how you think that people can have better luck at finding their purpose and um, feeling like they have meaning in their life and in their journey. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, um, yeah, purpose sometimes can be kind of vague and and big or overwhelming. Like some people can be like, you know, like, I mean, it's wild. Uh, People can get like overwhelmed with like, what is my purpose? What is my calling? What is my reason for living? What is my legacy? I'm going to live on, you know, one of my, when people are at my funeral and what I've kind of come down to in, in different formulas, you know, this idea of pursuing purpose, pursuing something bigger than yourself. Um, and it, it is, it is like this kind of healing your heart. I talk a lot about like really trying to figure out where your incidents of trauma started, like where, where do these limiting beliefs come from of like, at what moment at my life did I start to not think I was good looking or a good singer or creative or enough. And, and then really figuring out that like pinpoint that original moment in your life and then unraveling that to, you know, the reality you have now. And it's all layers, right? Like the layers I talk about in my pursuing purpose programs is the first level of any human is behavior. Like it's just, that's what we can all see. That's what we all know. But what creates the behavior, what creates the behavior is the story that we're telling ourselves. But what creates the story we're telling ourselves? Well, the story we're telling ourselves is an emotion. And so this emotion creates a story we're telling ourselves. That story we're telling ourselves creates our behavior. And most AA programs or addiction programs, they only ever talk about the first two. Like, this is your behavior. This is the story you're telling yourself. And the third level, that emotion is one of the hardest ones to crack. Because it's it's, Mm. it's, when we were abused as a kid or neglected or even some small things of like not loved or held or encouraged or whatever it is that emotion is we have to go back to that moment like we have to go back to being mad at our dad or sad about our mom or sad about whatever it is and so we have to and our ego's whole mission is to make sure we never feel that emotion again right like if i'm mm-hmm. dancing when i'm when i'm six years old and i'm singing in front of my family or my friends and they're like you suck at singing the amount of it's survival because it's, it's biological. It's like the humane of like, Oh my God, I'm not going to survive in this tribe. And, but like the amount of your reaction to that is like, I'm never going to sing in front of people again, because that feeling I had when my family told me I'm a bad singer 
was like me being thrown out of the tribe, which means death. That's like mm. the biological response. So our whole mission for our ego is to make sure we never feel that feeling again. Mm. And so you have to go there. You have to really like go there and you feel that emotion. But where did that emotion come from? And that is our belief about the world. And where did our belief about the world come from? Was that a moment, that trauma? So the original moment, this traumatic experience we had when we were young or older, that traumatic experience creates our belief about the world. Our belief about the world creates an emotion. Our emotion creates the story we're telling ourselves and the story we're telling ourselves creates our behaviors. Mm -hmm. And so those five levels is every single human being. So really trying to heal that heart and understand where these ideas of the world are coming from and then turning all that pain into your purpose and, and really trying to find out where you can love people and help people and serve people. And the reason I called it pursuing purpose was what, like the idea and the constitution of we all have the right to pursue happiness. Um, and yet we are the most wealthy country in the world, but we're also the most depressed, suicidal, anxious country on the planet. And so does this kind of capitalism work? This capitalistic culture we are now, it works financially for sure. We have the most suicides and depressed people on the planet. That doesn't seem like it's working for a long-term, you know, solution for a country. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, gearing your life to where it isn't about the money, it isn't about the success, it isn't about impressing your parents or inspire. You know, it, it's really coming down to humans in our DNA. We're connected to each other, and the happiest people in the entire world are connected in community and in tribes and in um, co-living and, and consciousness of co-sharing finances and co-raising your kids. And those are statistically, scientifically proven the happiest people in the entire world mm -hmm. are the ones that are doing things on a collective. And mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, I don't know, just, I don't, I'm not trying to like fight against capitalism or the government or countries or anything. I'm really just trying to help people. And it, it, I do it. I try to do it more intimately. I, I hear a lot of people be like, yeah, I want to start a movement around the world and help all these people around the world. I'm like, that's cool to do that. I did that for a long time and it was fun, but it wasn't sustainable. It was draining because you got to really just go deep with people. Like it's better to be liked deep by few or no loved deep by, by few than liked widely by many, you know? And so mm -hmm. many of us are just trying to get liked by so many people widely, but man, I would rather have like 10 people who really love me and know me and, and, uh, I can help them and, you know, then they can go help 10. And so, yeah, man, it's, it's kind of so many different formulas and equations. I just try to simplify everything, you know, and not yeah. make it like more chaotic or messy of like, how do we get a billion dollars or a billion people to sign this petition? I'm just like, yeah. 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 No, I, th I think that that is a huge thing is just getting people around you, loving them, being there for them. And that is how you're going to find joy and happiness. And obviously you've been really successful at doing that on like a pretty big scale and like in a lot of different regions of the world. And that's incredible. I want to hear your advice on how people can do that in their own small worlds. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, it, it comes down to how much do you love yourself? You know, how much do you mm -hmm. truly have you healed and how much do you believe? Because how you view yourself is going to be kind of how you view other people and your enemy, right? And so, you know, once you find this like self contentment and love for who you are, um, 
then you just, like I said, you create what you can't find. And so, you know, I, I always tell a lot of college kids I work with, they're like, well, I, I'm kind of, I'm in college right now. My parents are paying for it. There's no other option. Like this is what I'm in. I'm like, okay, cool. If there's no other option and your parents are paying for it and you're not going into debt, then utilize it for what it is right now. So you're in college, you got to be there. So create a club, create a podcast, create, a, create events, create something that's going to help you stimulated on purpose and helping people, whether it's going to clean trash or clean the beach or, you know, have uh, documentary nights and you like show powerful documentaries and you guys talk about it as a school. So it's like, you just utilize what you have, the resources right now where you're at mm -hmm. and just be like, okay, well, this is my resources, this is my reality. I'm in college and there's no other option um, this is, and then and just use it, use that, use it as your own. And I know it's going to be conflicting, but like, I can't throw a documentary night. What if only two people come? Well, then two people come, you know, like that's better than going to a party with a hundred people that you don't even like or know who you are. You know what I'm saying? Like it starts small. And I threw a documentary night in Denver when I first moved back when I was 22, I was same thing. I couldn't find my people. I couldn't, I didn't fit in anywhere at church or anywhere. So I threw a documentary movie night and like three people came and then it was amazing. And the next week or two weeks later, we threw another one and 10 people came and then 20 people came and then a hundred people came. We rented out a movie theater. And so, you know, it's just like, you got to be humble and you got to not look at numbers of like, Oh, only 10 people came to my event. It's like, cool. 10 people came to my event and we're talking about love and life and purpose, you know? So yeah, really starting to, you know, journal and, and, research and read i mean read as much as you can man if, if you want to talk about mentorship the fact that there's books out there of like these people you look up to and you want to have dinner with them really bad but it's like yo they put everything that they're going to tell you at dinner in a book for 12 bucks you better go freaking get a book and like man dude yeah yeah i uh, what you said about ego is really impactful to me i think that there's a lot of things that I want to do where I want, I want to be more bold, whether it's hosting something or having the podcast or doing anything really. I want to be bold, but also ego is really hard to manage, you know, because any failure feels it's like embarrassing. Yeah. And in reality, it's like, it's not that embarrassing. Like three people come to your documentary, like, so what, you know, mm -hmm. so if I start a podcast and no one listens to it, like, so what I get to learn exactly. and the two or three people that listen get to learn. And I think that any success that I've had in my life is because I failed several times before that point, you know, exactly, yeah. and I think letting go of that fear of failure is, is just the most essential thing in finding your success. And I, I wanted to mention this earlier, but lost my, my thought processes, but with, um, with failing, it's so interesting because we let our worst case scenario be the inevitable scenario simply by not trying. You know, mm -hmm. it's almost like we choose it rather than like the fear of it possibly happening, which is, it doesn't make any sense at all, but I guess it does happen. So yeah, isn't that funny? Yeah, man, we, we get more, yeah. Like our fear of going to the gym cause we won't be strong or look good. We don't go. And then we end up not being strong, you know? So it's like, it's just like, the, there's like, there's like that one quote that's really famous right now is like, there's two ways of suffering, you know? doing it or not doing it. You're both, you're going to suffer both ways. Yeah. Um, going to the yeah, gym and working true. out is hard. And so what I always tell people is you, in life never gets easier. You, you truly just get stronger. You truly just become more aware and not stronger in the physical sense, but spiritually stronger, emotionally stronger, um, mentally stronger. And, um, you know, life isn't 
easy or, you know, you're going to lose a family member, you're going to lose a loved one or your dog dies or a job fires you, whatever it is, like it's going to happen. It's inevitable. It's not to run from those and money won't solve it. The love of your life won't solve it. Mm -hmm. Your dream job won't solve it, you know, like, and that's why you got to do the work where no one escapes it. Like no, every person who's like, man, BC, like, I wish my brother or my best friend or my husband or my parents did the work. I'm like, no one escapes doing the work. Um, because at one point, and some people do go to their deathbed, like older people, obviously that didn't understand trauma or with these conversations, like, you know, but you have tons of grace and compassion for them because they had to just survive. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. everyone's in survival mode. So like, I don't have any hardships towards parents or people who older people who are just like kind of in their ways, but you know, people will go get the money. They'll go get the love of their life. And at the end of bankruptcy and divorce and depression, they will be like, okay, I guess I got to sober my soul and do this work that my friend or my daughter or my husband or my wife has been telling me to do for so long. And so, uh, I just tell everyone it's a waiting game. Get out of survival mode. I feel like that has, that has to be one of your slogans because I think you're so good at that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, fight or flight, man, we're, we're, so, you, you just, ha- you, you just really learn how to have grace and compassion for everyone because mm-hmm. everyone's shoulders are uptight and they're tense. Like watch people drive and they're so tense, you know, and it's like, everyone's in this survival fight or flight mode. Like the, the moment, you know, you're at the airport and someone's like, sir, get to the back of the, the plane or, you know, they yell at you and it's like, they're just scared to get fired and they're just like scared to lose their job or lose credibility and so everyone is in survival mode fight or flight and so you just learn how to like have so much when the person cuts you off on the highway you're just like dang man i bet they're like trying not to get home late so their wife doesn't get mad at them or be late to work so they don't get fired like they're just just trying to survive and and you know on the other side of that survival mode is thriving like you're you're meant you're, you're meant here to enjoy nature and people and love and life and you're meant to thrive and you have to look at success different you know you ask anyone in america or the western world like how much money do you need and they'll just be like more i just need more money like they, they have no amount that they think they need it's just always lack it's not abundance and so you ask anyone in america how much money do you need they'll be like as much as I can possibly get, right? Because it's like there's, yeah. there's there's real estate, there's crypto, there's my child's college fund, there's this car I want to buy. There, there's just the money is never there. And so when you start to look at relationships as the greatest wealth you'll ever have, your whole life flips to like, oh, I just need to work on relationships and people. Mm-hmm. And that will give me more than anything will ever buy me. And all these millionaires and billionaires continue to take their life because they cannot buy friends. And by the time they have friends, they're like, wait, are these people my friends? Cause I have a boat and a lot of money or are they my friends? Like if I had no money, would they still be here? And that's the mm-hmm. existential crisis. All these millionaires ha- and famous people like my best friends are the yes theory guys, you know, from YouTube and they go through that and, and had to navigate that. I, I watched it up close myself personally being in LA and being some sort of an influential person being like, wait, if, if I wasn't cool with these people be like me, you know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. it's, it's a million dollar question, but then you find those real people who would pick you up from the airport or help you move apartments or houses or be there when your mom dies or whatever it is. And you're just like, man, I've been chasing this validation from people who don't give a shit about if my mom dies, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And I've been running from the most important ones. And so, uh, yeah, man, it's, it's quite a journey. Hmm. Wow. Okay. Well, my, I got two more questions for you. The first is who do you look up to the most and what have they done for you? 
in terms of learning from them? Yeah, I had, I had, a, I, I call him a mentor. He, he's like a mentor. His name's Tommy Spaulding. He's like an author and he helped me, um, start these high school programs that I do, but you know, he wasn't like, uh, a mentor I could call anytime I wanted. It was just kind of there, but what he did for me was give me, you I said at the very beginning of this interview, you can't be what you can't see. Mm-hmm. And when I met him, he was, you know, didn't meet his wife till he was 35, didn't have his first kid till he was 38 and loved high school kids and and he wrote some amazing books but he gave me a glimpse of what's possible that he's such a heart-led leader that he he wrote books about leading from the heart and he just kind of lives with that love and so he kind of gave me like a breath of fresh air for my soul to be like okay cool like it's okay to be single and you know not have kids yet or buy a house yet like he you know he kind of like showed me the example of that and so that was a big deal for me. Um, and then some other heroes I have that I haven't met in person yet. I mean, Richard Rohr is an author. Have you ever heard of him? Oh, uh, no, I haven't. I he's I an incredible, like he's written probably over 30 books, but he's like been in, studying like ministry in the Bible for 50 years. But he says a lot of things that are very confrontational to comfortable Christians, like Christian <laughs> theology that say a lot of this like stuff. He's like... He's like, yo, I've studied this for 50 years. And he's like, this is what Jesus meant when he said this. And Christians like, <laughs> freak out. Um, is Richard because, Rohr, I'm going to write that down. Yeah, Richard Rohr. He's like a grandpa. He's the most humble, loving guy on the planet. And he is like probably one of my biggest heroes, like reading his books and just being like, oh, wow, there's a whole different lens we can look at Jesus and Holy Spirit and God through. Um, so he's a hero of mine. And then, yeah, I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. Cool. No, that's, that's solid. Honestly, I really appreciate that answer. Um, and then my last question for you is, is what's next? Yeah, man. I mean, my dreams are, they terrify me. Like my, my, these these visions I get and these dreams I have, man, like they truly terrify me of like, man, God, like, is this this ever going to slow down and stop? And he's like, you don't want it to. And so some days I get really tired and I'm like, I just want to be like, gone like disappear and and just like take a rest because i mean like when i say 14 years like i've been in the mud for 14 years like this i've never had a sabbatical like a big one like i've never had a break i've literally been on the grind for 14 years and it's definitely paid off like i can't complain at all like i you know have my dream community my dream partner um I, I get to pay people to change people's lives now like i get my friends that are the most loving people i've ever met through the mastermind, like, and through our retreats, I pay them to change people's lives. And I like, couldn't put that into words if I tried, but, um, the next goal would be a conference, like a purpose conference, and then a potentially a purpose tour where we, so I did in 2017, I did a thing called the traveling good and I got an RV and filled it with my friends. And we went around to 25 cities and threw nonprofit parties in every city we went to where we threw parties and highlighted nonprofits and all the parties were free. It was epic. Have you heard of that? Have I told you about the traveling good yet? Uh, no. Oh, you gotta look it up. Go look it up on YouTube, man. We, 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 in one, in two weeks, we raised $30,000 on Kickstarter. Oh no. In one week I built out the Kickstarter in two weeks, we raised 30 grand and then we hit the road and we got an RV given to us. And so it was called the traveling good. We were just way ahead of our time and we didn't have a lot of production or PR around it. We just did it. And so the next evolution of it 
is I kind of started creating in 2020, but it was going to be called the bridge tour and it's the traveling good 2.0. And we get two RVs, an RV full of seven girls an RV full of seven guys. And we go around to all these cities and we throw parties, raising money, raising, um, (laughs) um, like nonprofit charities, raising awareness. And, uh, that would be like a cool for me because right now my mission is to empower people in their purpose. And so like once you're on the mountaintop and I, and I've, and I've always felt that like, I've never, I never want to boast or brag about my life. Like I never want people to feel like they, they're, they're like, Oh man, like that's, he's got it. You know, I'm like, yo, my mission is you. Like my mission is to give my people money and my, my friends experiences and people I mentor experiences. And so this traveling good for me is the seven girls and the seven guys in the RV are people that are filmmakers and photographers and event and, and people I mentor. And now I'm empowering them with experience, with employment, with, uh, equipping them to go around the country and raise money and charities for nonprofits. Like that for me is my highest excitement. And so I'm really trying to pray for capital. Like I'm like, all right, God, I've, I've helped tens of thousands of people in 14 years with no money, like no capital. Imagine what I can do with just a little bit of capital. And so now I'm trying to gear my whole life around like getting finances and calling in a lot of money because I, uh, I live very simply. I very, I live very below the, the line of anything that I, I mean, I've literally wore the same clothes for three years, but you know, I wear, I really, really simply, but now I'm like, okay, if I can get a lot of money, I can help a lot of people, um, help a lot of people, not just help a lot of people, but help a lot of people, help a lot of people, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And yeah, so that, yeah, that's the next prayer for me is, is, uh, getting a couple RVs donated or gifted or a grant or some sort of, you know, $300,000 check. And I just like go and make a dent with the, you know, all the, everything I have now without being able to help to help this many people for 14 years with no money is so trippy that I can't wait to see what I can do with money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, I, and I'm working on a book. So I've been working on a book for a while now and uh, I haven't really announced it yet, but it's called love isn't logical. And, mm. um, and I got asked to write the book when I was 27 and I told the publishing agency, I was like, yeah, this book is not done yet. It's God's like still making it. And so I turned, I turned away the publishing deal at 27, waited till I was 30 to start writing it. And I'm still like kind of in the process of writing it. It's been a long journey, but hopefully I'll take a sabbatical here soon and like go to Mexico and turn my phone <laughs> off and finish it. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, cool. I, I really appreciate all of your insights. The simple, yeah, bold way that you live your life is very intriguing and cool and inspiring to me. I feel like I normally have really good insights when I do these podcasts, but with you, I just, I just feel uh, enamored by, by the things that you're doing. And so I, I definitely have some things that I've taken away and I'm sure that my guests or my listeners have taken quite a bit away as well. So I uh, really appreciate you having you on. How can my following find you after this podcast and keep up with your journey? Yeah, I mean, on social media, just BC, um, Cerna. And then, uh, yeah, if everyone listening, man, I hope I hope your heart feels a little bit more rest and your soul feels a little bit of peace and uh, you just feel a little bit more seen and uh, content in your spiritual journey of, like, I truly believe if you're listening to this podcast, first of all, congratulations that you should definitely celebrate yourself for leaning into conversations like this and and give yourself a really big hug and 
um, go compliment yourself looking in the mirror. Um, and then just remember, remind yourself that you were literally sent into this body you have right now so you can love people. Like that's literally why you have the vessel and the flesh um, that you're in right now is so you can l- use it for love uh, and give people um, this experience of love. And so I hope and pray that you can just be reminded of that today and, and, and have a lens of, of love for the rest of your life towards people. Awesome. Amen to that. Thank you so much. And thank you all for listening. Have a great day. I'll catch you on the next episode.